I'm going to invite you now to find John chapter 16. It'll be on the screens, or if you brought a Bible, or uh, if you want to use one of the pew Bibles, that's where you'll find us today. As we continue in this section of the Gospel of John, known as the Upper Room Discourses, and we're right in the middle, leaning towards the end this morning. Before I read the scripture, let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time now um, that we've had to worship you in music and in prayer. And now I ask that you would be with us to lead and to guide, to confront and to uh, provide peace and encouragement as we look at your word. Lord, help us as we, um, perhaps for the first time, consider what it means to be your disciple, or for those who have been learning for some time now what it truly means to follow you, uh, that you would renew and refresh us, and that you would give us what we would need in your Holy Spirit to live this out in real and authentic ways together as a church. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. John chapter 16, starting at verse 1 through 15. I know it's a little different than your bulletin. It says this, All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will provide the world, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Yesterday, as I was going out on a walk, I realized I needed to make an edit. I had one intro to the sermon going, and then as I as I was able to negotiate with my wife, Katie, about breaking away from the kids for a moment so that I could go on a walk. 
And really, if you know uh, what it's like, just a little insight on what it's like to be a pastor is one of the things that you actually employ me to do, whether you like it or not, is to really just wrestle with the text for the week. And in a lot of ways, it becomes the context or the lens by which I start to see all the things around me. And I tell you that because I'm going to tell you a couple of random things that <laughs> came up on this walk that reminded me about this text. The first one was I was trying to get away from this wrestling, and I turned to a podcast, and it was an interview with a historian named Sarah Val. Maybe some of you know her work. But she kind of teach, she teaches about history, and she wrote a book about some of the presidential assassinations that have taken place over history. She was being interviewed about it, and at one point in the conversation, they were talking about how people that represent great love and great truth are often killed, historically speaking, right? We can call to mind fairly easily the people in our history that have been killed that we could say have lived for goodness and truth in the world. We could say Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King Jr. We could say the Kennedys, right? John and Robert Kennedy. Different people throughout history that have tried to stand up for the truth and they were killed for it. And as I was thinking about this thought and thinking about our text, then I was walking by this part in our neighborhood where there's this aggressively mean dog. And this dog annoys me so much. Maybe you have a dog like this in your neighborhood. This dog seems so clever about how, even though I know he lives at this house, that right when I think he's not coming, he sneaks right up on me and just barks viciously at the gate. And it scares me every time. Even though I know it's coming, it scares me again and again and again. And I get mad at myself because I'm like, I knew he was going to make me scared again, right? This vicious dog. And actually, one time, this is a side note, I was in a bit of a debate with somebody in my neighborhood, and one of the ways that they were trying to get at me is they said, are you the owner of that house with that mean dog? So this dog is like notorious in the neighborhood. They were trying to say I was the mean dog guy. But I'm not. I don't like the dog either. Um, But what it reminded me of is that there's a way by which we as human beings, even though we know that some of our decisions, some of the things in life that we do lead again and again to tragedy, we can't help but do it over and over and over again. One of the smarter theologians of the last 100 years, a guy named Reinhold Niebuhr. He's a theologian and ethicist, and one of his big teachings was just this. Man has always been his own most vexing problem. Man has always been his own most vexing problem. And I see in this text, maybe you see it too, that as Jesus is telling his disciples where he is going, what his fate will be, that for standing up for the truth, that he will go to the cross. 
and that one day, too, that the disciples, for standing up for the truth, will also meet their death at the hands of a world who cannot hear the truth, that man is his own vexing problem. And it's a real dichotomy, isn't it? Because we see in this upper room discourse the love that is shared between these disciples and Jesus and then the fate outside of this tragic world that has lost its way. And so for a moment, I just want to unpack what it is that Jesus teaches the disciples is going to help them to be the champion of the truth no matter what comes against them. Maybe you saw in the story, Jesus describes the Holy Spirit uniquely in this text as an advocate, as a helper. And what is the advocate to do What is the work of the advocate, this helper, in this text? Is to help the disciples to tell the truth. To bear witness and testimony to the truth. Become an example to the world of what the truth really is. To live it out in their words, in their life, in the signs and the power of God in the written word of the scriptures as they study and share and explore those together, all of those things will give them the ability to bear witness to the truth. And at the end of the day, that truth will cost them something. It will cost them their lives. Many of you know there's a famous statement about the New Testament church, which is that the thing that made the New Testament church really take off was that the blood of the martyrs became the seed of the church. That what they saw in Jesus, what was given to them through Jesus, and then as Jesus left to them through the Holy Spirit, was this amazing ability to tell the truth. Again, to prove my point that this this text is always on my mind, last night I was at a father-daughter dance, and I was talking with a friend that I know there that likes to talk about the Bible, and we kind of got a little corner. Our daughters, you know, like in every dance I've ever been to, my date always leaves me and goes off somewhere else. They were having a lot of fun. <laughs> and uh, we were talking about the Bible. And I was telling him how to preach this text. And man, it's just one of those texts where it's like, what a sobering reality that these disciples are learning. And yet, at the same time, what a liberating truth, as Dave prayed, that comes with a realization that the truth is the thing that will bring Christianity into the world, the good news into the world. So on the one hand, they have great sacrifice. And on the other hand, 
their purpose, their eternal purpose, is so unbelievably significant. And as I was, and as I was explaining this, we were having this conversation. What he told me about, he is faithful to the, the AA community. And he was talking about how one of the steps in the AA community is called radical truth-telling. And he said that one of the reasons for that is because radical truth-telling, if you tell the truth, then you will not go into addictive thinking. So by telling the truth, you stay on the straight and narrow. And then in our adult Sunday school, it was shared that also part of that is because you're always trying to what? Take care of your side of the street. To pay attention to what you can do to bear witness to the truth. Regardless of what's going on in the world, regardless of all the distractions that are out there, that your job is to tell the truth about yourself and the world that you see around you. Jesus gives us a tool in understanding how we could possibly do that. I have a slide um, that starts with what we do that I want to go to, Heather. Now, I just want to show you because Jesus is talking about sin, justice, and judgment with the disciples. And he's telling them that one of the reasons why there's such a threat on his life is because he has shown up in the world and the world has not seen him. And so the fundamental sin of the world is their inability to see Jesus in this moment, and especially the religious community that proposed to know God. I, I hear you so much, but there'll be a time to communicate after, but that's not right now. Thank you so much. I'm going to... Okay, wonderful. We thank you so much for that. Okay, I'm going to continue to preach, but we're going to ask that you, you're able to listen, okay? Thank you so much. And so, according to sin, right, it's missing of Jesus, who can't see Jesus. But then Jesus also is talking about how there's a justice. There's a justice that is uh, being discussed in this text, and he's saying that the people have missed the true nature of justice, the straight way of Jesus, because Jesus has, uh, is going to leave them and ascend into heaven, and he's going to take his rightful place. And as he takes his rightful place, it will be revealed that he's the one who's enthroned in heaven, able to make the judgments that are needed to be made upon the world. 
but I want to think about that for us in our personal life as well. We think about sin, we don't see Jesus. We think about justice, it becomes easy for us to want to allow other people to be punished, right? We think about judgment according to how we feel or someone else feels, then we end up excluding. We end up seeing things from our little narrow way and not being able to actually see the way God wants us to see. But when the helper comes, the Holy Spirit, then when we think about sin, because we see Jesus, we see ever more clearly how we miss the mark. Right? We, we, look our, we look at Jesus and we look at ourselves and we can see in this mirror that there's places where we couldn't see before that we're still learning, we're still growing in our discipleship. That there's deep sin. Man is his own vexing problem. Woman is her own vexing problem. And then when we, we realize this, then we move into thinking about justice in a new way. We realize that since there's such a big gap that we can't save ourselves, that we need Jesus, we need a Messiah, we need a Savior to come into the world. We need to receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior so that this gap between our sin and this distance we feel from who God is can be covered. There, there can be a bridge that's built by the cross that we can walk through. And then when we think about judgment then, we can let Jesus hold the gavel and then we just receive the wisdom that the Holy Spirit wants to give us about how to navigate our discipleship in the day-in, day-out reality. Do you notice the different perspectives? One is just operating in our own perspective, right? One is just going, when I think about sin, I think about my own problems without yet thinking about who Jesus is. When I think about justice, I therefore am embittered by my inability to measure up. And then, ultimately, with judgment, then I want to externalize and say it's everybody else's problem. But when we are with the Holy Spirit, then we get to look inside of ourselves. We get to receive the grace of God, recognizing that we all have sinned and fallen short, and that the grace of God covers that sin. And all of a sudden, we don't have to be the judge anymore. What a great gift that the advocate, the helper, can give each and every one of us as we seek to live out this life. With that in mind, uh, let me just pray for us as we get ready for communion, that we would be able to receive this help of the Holy Spirit this morning. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as you spoke to your disciples and you told them, that you were going away and that in your stead that you would give the Holy Spirit 
that you would provide a helper so that the tasks that lay before them, that were going to cost them their very lives, they would be able to do because of the help of the Holy Spirit. Lord, today, in 2024, we ask for this same help. To be able to stand up for the truth in a world that has lost its way, to be able to love with a love that can only come from you, with the love that is birthed out of your sacrifice on the cross and your resurrection power that energizes everything that we can say and do because of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for this great truth. Help us now to center in on it as we prepare for communion. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.